Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. everybody and welcome oh yes welcome back to the critically acclaimed podcast your podcast for critically acclaimed we review movies my name is william bibiani i am a critic what my name is william bibiani i am a critic everybody calls me bibs well done there well Thank done you. well handled and very professional look it's twelve twenty in the morning when we're getting started what do you want from me my name is whitney seibold i too am a critic uh and yeah let's review a film. We've got a weird crop of movies this week. It's uh, it's interesting because uh, you know it's it's the summer season. You normally expect a bunch of blockbusters, but typically you expect like certain types of big movies at certain points in the year. But because everything got pushed back or pushed forward, or everyone's just trying to fill what they thought the void would be, but there's also not quite as many giant blockbusters as you might imagine. It feels like we're getting stuff from like. May, but also late August. Like at the same time, we're kind of like the the Drek and the and like the A features kind of simultaneously. We'll get Black Widow and we'll get so uh, this week on this weekend. It's, Client, it's mostly Drek, but yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this week we're reviewing the new releases: Space Jam, A New Legacy, uh, Fear Street, sixteen sixty six. That is uh, the conclusion of the trilogy. Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, and Gunpowder Milkshake. Uh, let's just rip the Band-Aid off first, shall we? Oh, oh God, okay. Let's talk about Space Jam, uh, a, a new legacy. And if you're unfamiliar with Space Jam, congrats. Oh, oh what a lucky soul you must be. Yeah, um, we're, we're, a lot of people are fans of Space Jam, the original Space Jam found in the 90s. Started Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes, and they played basketball against cartoon villains and... A lot of people were the right age when it came out and have a lot of nostalgia for it. And you know what? Who can blame them? That's what nostalgia is for. But Whitney and I, we don't have nostalgia for Space Jam. In fact, no. as we keep revisiting it as needs be when like podcasts come along and we have to write articles about it, we, and I think you're with me on this, have come to the conclusion that although it may not be like the least competent movie ever made, it's kind of morally thematically bankrupt it's, in every yeah, way it's kind of, uh, it can't help but be one of the worst movies of the 90s just because there's this absolute grotesque cynicism well, behind it, it. it it's it's tainted by how commercial it is now i understand yeah. uh big studio films are all commercials yeah they commercial, all think they're gonna make commercial, money off commercial of products yeah. they're yeah. they're made to make money it's sell products uh, as well we, that's part of it but uh it's nice when it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. And Space Jam, not for a single second, feels like it's not a commercial. Yeah. Uh, because it's based on a commercial. Um, the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan met in Nike ads. And if you're just going to sell shoes and you license the Looney Tunes characters and you already have a shoe named after Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. 
why not? You know, that's 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 fine for a 30-second spot. For a 30-second spot, no one was mad at it. It was kind of cute. Michael Jordan was, and probably to an extent still is, one of the most popular human beings on the planet. So putting him in a, next to Bugs Bunny for 30 seconds, cool. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Who could be mad at that? Uh, Spike Lee did the same thing. Spike sure. Lee, Bugs Bunny. Same awesome. caliber of celebrity. I, uh, I would do that. Yeah. Like, if, if they offered, I would be like, yeah, let's do a commercial. Why not? Uh, but the, the ads were so popular and the Looney Tunes were in this really we- on this really weird precipice in the mid to late 90s where uh, they weren't as popular as they once were. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the old shorts, like the old Chuck Jones and, uh, and uh, Bob McKimson and Bob Clampett cartoons were mm-hmm. being run as often mm-hmm. on Saturday morning TV. They were falling uh, out of favor. Being... Tiny Tunes were, were like kind of still popular, like yeah, but it was although, like the new generation of of, of and even, characters. Even by '96, Tiny Tunes was off the air, and I think even Animaniacs was as well. Um, Already, really? Wow. Okay, I'd have to look look that up on. on regardless, Animaniacs. they were regardless they were kind uh, of old hat. Yeah, and, and they, uh, they and were trying they to find were, a way to breathe new life into what they considered yeah, to be if, marketing icons. If you were uh, around for the dark, dark period of the Warner Brothers Studio Stores <sighs> that appeared Awful. in malls, you got to see kind of what the what Warner Brothers was trying to brand the Looney Tunes as, and it was as like these as ultra hip, like mm-hmm. hey, we're going to appeal to the young people, and they were dressed in sort of like really hip saggy clothes with the backwards baseball caps and uh you can still find the the jackets like on ebay of like tweety bird with the backwards baseball cat and the sunglasses saying attitude it was the most pathetic thing if you've ever seen the simpsons episode where homer was cast as a new itchy and scratchy character named poochie who was designed to be the most like modern now cartoon character possible and how that was the worst idea imaginable that was not an exaggeration. That's just what was happening. It's funny, but it's exactly what was happening. It's what they were trying to do. The Looney Tunes, and I'm going to say this right now, the Looney Tunes have been updated, modernized, commented mm. on on topical humor, topical culture since the beginning. Mm. Uh, but sometimes it's a matter of we're just doing a funny joke, and sometimes it's a matter of we're just we're just pandering because we think yeah. this will sell uh, jackets. And uh, yeah. and occasionally uh, the Looney Tunes would come back with something really kind of notable. Uh, Carrot Blanca is a really great example of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, they made a Bugs Bunny cartoon in the 90s, uh, which was just a straight-up uh, redux of Casablanca. Great. And uh, Bugs Bunny was Rick... Um, Peter Laurie was Tweety. Uh, the Peter Laurie <laughs> Tweety is really about, hilarious. I forgot about that. That was weird. <laughs> where, where have you been? And then Tweety like hunches over. I'm sure I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam was Sam. Or, or yeah. uh, no, Sylvester was. No, Daffy Duck was Sam. Daffy Duck? I don't remember that. I don't remember who was Daffy Sam. Daffy Duck was Sam. Uh, Paul Henreid was uh, uh, Sylvester. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ilsa was. Uh, um, I forgot the name of the the cat character. The so, Pepe yeah, Sylvester was Victor Laszlo. Penelope right. Pussycat. Was Penelope Elsa. Pussycat was also yeah. yeah. Car- Cara Blanca is spectacular. Uh, mm. So it's not and that Daffy Duck was Sam. And then Daffy and then a few years later, Joe Dante came in and did Looney Tunes back in action. So mm. and that I think was a, a great film that has sort of the spirit of the Looney Tunes because I think Joe Dante actually gives a damn about the Looney Tunes. I and think he understands the history. The Chuck is, Jones is in Gremlins. For goodness sake. <laughs> no, it's true. Here's, here's the difference between Space Jam and Looney Tunes Back in Action. And I like Looney Tunes Back in Action a lot. I think it's a very, very good 
kids film and Looney Tunes film, is it a timeless classic? No. No. But it's quite good. And what it does well is it's a story about the Looney Tunes, not just using them as a plot point. Mm. Because that's the thing with the original Space Jam. Aliens come from outer space and they want to make Looney Tunes their corporate icons and force them to sell products and completely sell out. The hypocrisy is just astounding. But anyway, I so they enlist Michael Jordan to be the ringer on their basketball team because they challenge them to a bat. All of that stuff has nothing to do with the Looney Tunes. Has nothing to do with the Looney Tunes characters. Has nothing to do with what makes the Looney Tunes funny. Has nothing to do with what makes the Looney Tunes lasting icons. It's just plot. Mm. It's if you had gotten, you know, we got Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. I guess they got to play a basketball game. It's so perfunctory. It's so soulless that even though there may be, I know Bill Murray is always funny. I get it. I, mm. who can blame you? But there's nothing to it. It's well, incredibly and, and shallow it, and empty. It, even, even by yeah. even by the standards, what, and some people have very low standards for kids entertainment. I don't Which, think that's a good thing. I think no, if you, I think, I think if you're I, saying I, that like it's okay these things are bad because they're for kids, I think that says a lot about how, how little you, what, we care about our kids. What you care, yeah, what what you yeah. want. I think kids deserve good art, uh, yeah. perhaps even more so than yeah. adults because uh, they need to be enriched. They want I want kids to have their minds engaged by the yeah. art that they consume and not just sort of pandered to and uh so when people are dismissing space jam and indeed space jam a new Net legacy as oh it's just kid fun i know it's crap but it's kid fun that is a really dour cynical attitude for you to take yeah it's really it's uh, it's, it's, it's it's really disappointing and listen i watched a lot of crap when i was a kid absolutely Not pretending. We, we all did but here's the thing the stuff that l lingered the stuff that you know mattered to me in the long run was mm. stuff that even if it was flawed even if it wasn't great there was something i connected to something kind of earnest about it and that's mm. the thing i never found in space jam yeah. It's never earnest. It's never genuine. It's always and, fake. And, they, and that's they're really and frustrating. That original movie does try to play off sort of its horrendous commercial existence by, like, tr trying to oversell it like they lampshade it. Uh -huh. Like, oh, yeah, this is this is a commercial, so let's just talk about how much we love to wear Nikes and, and eat Doritos. And mm -hmm. uh, there's even a bit where... Um, Daffy Duck is saying like, oh, and we, we love our corporate overlords at Warner mm. Brothers. And he has a Warner Brothers shield on his butt and, decide, yeah. and, and kisses his own butt. It's awful. And uh, that's that's take that moment where Daffy Duck is kissing the Warner Brothers on his own ass and extend it to feature length. And you kind of have this new sequel uh, because. <laughs> yeah, because it's 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 like 25 the, years. It's something years. It's which, been 25 years since, take, since yeah. uh, the original Space Jam. They've decided yeah. to come back uh, with this idea of pairing uh, a famous basketball player with the Looney Tunes. This time it's LeBron James. Mm -hmm. uh, and He's incredibly popular. Who is who is the most famous basketball player now, playing now. Yeah. Uh, and the Looney Tunes used to be sort of spirits of anarchy. They they were yeah. agents of chaos. I consider I, I've called uh, them chaos gods. Yeah, yeah. they can they, warp they, reality to their they, yeah, to their needs. Be, there's there's a, a wonderful bit where uh, Bugs Bunny just on a whim just takes a saw to Florida and saws it off of the country. The really wonder <laughs> wonderful bit where you, you just see uh, Bugs Bunny sawing something and then he wipes his brow and says, that's it. And then they cut to a space shot and Florida floats away from the rest of the country. Yeah, Bugs Bunny can just do that. Yeah, uh, so. 
they they and I think that's what made the this uh, canon of characters sort of stand apart from maybe their like the Mickey Mouse counterparts. Mm-hmm. You know, Donald is an angry asshole. He's the mm-hmm. most interesting of that canon. But you know, Mickey's sort of this bland heroic type. Goofy is a bland f- heroic, kind of a bland heroic type. Yeah. And uh, when he's George the, Geef, Goofy's funny. The, the George Geef cartoons are excellent, and I will yeah. never because then Goofy the is Geef the everyman who's like the victim of yeah. all of society's yeah. foibles, and those cartoons are great. The one where he tries to quit smoking might be oh. one of my favorites. Um, Brutal. Totally brutal. <laughs> but uh, these agents of chaos who were out in the world trying to be sort of impish and satirical about the world kind of ironically became the face of a company. Mm-hmm. In this new film, they know they're the face of a company and they are now subservient to that company. Yeah. They, they live within the confines of... Uh, HBO Max, H- H- yeah, essentially HBO Max. They, so here's, uh, here, let's let's real fast. Let me just let me just because there's not much to it. Let me just <laughs> rattle off the plot of the movie. Uh, LeBron James is LeBron James. He has two kids. One of his kids, not played by his real kids, not played by no one's. Play, LeBron James is the only one playing a real LeBron James person, uh, which must be weird. <laughs> which must be weird. But uh, anyway, whatever. I, I can live with all of that. Who cares? But um, LeBron James has dedicated his whole life to basketball. He seems like a relatively good guy and father, but he doesn't connect to one of his sons because he wants his son to play basketball and his son wants to design video games instead, and LeBron doesn't quite understand that. Uh, LeBron is invited by Warner Brothers for a pitch meeting where, honestly, I'm really hazy on what the pitch is, but basically the idea is they've created something called Warner 3000, which is basically a giant database with all of their intellectual property. And they want to take LeBron James and put him in all of those intellectual properties to sell what? Is, are well, we selling the, the streaming service, the movie, here's, LeBron? Is this an idea for a film that they're pitching? They never this, explain what Warner 3000 is. They, they, it takes place in a world where, um, and this is actually kind of a fair assumption, where viewers are going to be beholden to a company. And mm. if, if Ready Player One taught us anything, it's that people are willing to go to battle for the company, the corporation. Mm-hmm that owns the intellectual property that they've allied themselves to. Ready Player One doesn't have to teach us that at all. We see that every single day with fans of Marvel, with fans of uh, Zack Snyder, with fans of like all of these. People are fighting for this constantly. And and they're not necessarily fighting for art. They're fighting for the company that owns the art, which Mm. is is Or against it sometimes. Or against it. Or or against a different company that owns it. I'm wondering if... If something is bought or sold by Warner Brothers, does it disappear out of this Tron-like world where everything exists? Sort of, in, they call it the serververse. Mm-hmm. Um, the serververse is overseen by the master control program. Uh, in this case, it's he's a character named Algy Rhythm. Algorithm. Um, and they have somehow licensed the likeness of actor Don Cheadle. Yeah. Who I assume is, exists in the real world, mm-hmm. so nobody mentions that he looks like Don Cheadle. I think the, algor- the algorithm has gained sentience, which is reminds me very, very much of a much better movie this year, uh, Mitchells vs. the Machines. Uh, and it has decided to take matters into its own hands. It was his idea to recruit LeBron James, he's the most popular person on the planet, to team up with Algy Rhythm mm-hmm. to sell one or three thousand, whatever the fuck it is, uh, to the masses. When LeBron says that's a stupid idea... Uh, Algy digitizes and, LeBron and, and, and his son. And he's right, and then the film 
proceeds to do it. No, I like that's the idea. It's like the the pitch of the movie is we're going to put LeBron James and all of Warner's intellectual properties in a really callous, soulless way in order to essentially sell HBO Max to people. And LeBron's like, that's a terrible idea. No one would like that. And then the movie happens. So if you like this movie, you have sided with the villain of this movie, which is weird. Uh, but and the movie's not thought out very well. There's not a hint of irony to that either. No. It's, they're, they're not making a joke of that. No, it's really fucking weird. So anyway, uh, the algae rhythm digitizes LeBron and his son, like in the movie Tron, and brings them into the server verse. And algae says, here's what's going to happen. I am going to challenge you to a basketball game. I wish he had just come out and said, you know, like in that movie Space Jam, which we own. Like, I kind of <laughs> wish he just said that. I, I, I'm a big what fan of Space kidding? Jam. Space Jam was like the entire, you know, basis for my algorithm. It's how we match up IPs. So I'm just going to do that again. And that would have been funny. Why not? So Space Jam in this universe would have been a movie. Why not? Or a yeah. documentary. Anyway, I, so LeBron is basically forced to, he if he doesn't, defeat algae rhythm and put together a team of people from the warner brothers universe uh to defeat algae uh he will become basically the property of warner brothers and his son will be corrupted forever and And, uh, algae rhythm saying to himself haha i will defeat lebron james and in order to make sure he can't put together a strong enough team, I'm going to send him to a planet full of all-powerful chaos gods who have had you know, longevity for longer than any other Warner Brothers intellectual property and never lose. So he sends them to Toon World. Hmm. This is not a well-thought-out okay, story. Well, it's not well-thought-out. The, the way it operates is LeBron James is able to sort of ping-pong within, essentially, planets within hmm. the server, and each planet represents a different property, a different yeah. uh, pop culture property. So there's a Harry Potter planet, and there's a Game of Thrones planet. There's a Matrix um, planet. Yeah. Uh, I do appreciate the, that for a brief second, LeBron is actually like working on like a whiteboard or a chalkboard and mm-hmm. saying, okay, wouldn't it be great if we had Superman on our Superman. team? We'll get yeah, Trinity from the Matrix. Yeah. And and honestly, for a moment, I'm like, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. If we, you know, why why wouldn't you like make advantage of that? And instead he assembles all of the, the Looney Tunes. Uh, rather, which it still makes sense. They won yeah. last time. Why not? Uh, during, when he goes to Toon World, I do appreciate that uh, he's animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turns into a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, really classic hand-drawn animation. It looks great. It looks pretty good. They put a lot of energy into the uh, the animation. I wish they'd done that when Michael Jordan had come into the Toon World and Space yeah, Jam. Because uh, uh, Jordan's really wooden. LeBron really James wooden. is a better actor than, than Michael Jordan. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. People have been giving LeBron James a lot of shit for like his performance here. He's fine. He's this lo- is not his fault. He's not a professional <laughs> actor. He's a he's a very likable personality. I do not blame LeBron James. LeBron James was was said, "Hey, you want to act opposite the Looney Tunes?" And he said, "Yes." Who the fuck could blame him? I do not blame LeBron James for this movie turning out bad. He's fine. No, no, no. I I, I blame the company. Actually, yes, I do because it's directed by the company. Uh, yeah. It's actually directed from uh, by. Uh, Malcolm D. Uh, Lee. Malcolm D. Lee, who has done uh, numerous comedy films, uh, did Roll Bounce, uh, one of the uh, Barbershop sequels, mm-hmm. uh, did, uh, Girls Trip. Girls a lot Trip of, is lot of, excellent. A lot of notable com- yeah. like comedy films. He did Undercover uh, Brother. That's that's uh, that's, and, and that's a classic. Brother, which that's is, a, that's which a stone cold classic. Which is a, a pretty Brother. hilarious movie. Yeah. Uh, in, in a rather strange conceit, the Looney Tunes—it's like Acme Acres now. It's like in Tiny Tunes, where uh, mm-hmm. they all live in the same city. 
Yeah. Which looks a little bit like Burbank, California, but they everybody's left the planet except for Bugs Bunny. He's the last yeah. man on Earth. The rest of the Looney Tunes have gone exploring in the rest of the Warner Brothers universe. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Mm. That's not the worst idea. Some of them would, anyway. Yeah, but, why uh, not? I mean, if you had the opportunity, hmm. why wouldn't you? Like, so imagine, have, uh, if, yeah, if you have, like, like, oh, God, there are other planets out there, and one of them is, like, the Matrix. I'm going to go to the Matrix for a vacation. I want to see what it's fucking like. I want to, like, bend time and shit. <laughs> like, I know it's oppressive and horrible, but, like, it's still a movie. I can fake it. Like, whatever. It's like, my point is this. It's neat. Yeah, there, that's, and, the, and that's, the, a, that's the fun and games of this. And there's a few cute gags in this section where they're sort of rounding up the, the classic Looney Tunes characters. Yeah. Uh, I liked uh, the, Daffy uh, Duck in the Bruce Tim Superman yeah, verse. That was yeah, actually Daff, pretty fun. Daffy Duck is in the Bruce Tim world, so all of the characters are animated like a Bruce, Bruce Tim and you know, Superman and all the rest of them show up. Uh, and he's trying to become a star as a superhero. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know what? That works as a seven-minute short. Do that. That would have been good. Uh, there is... Uh, the Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner are inside Mad Max Fury Road. Uh-huh. That works. Make a seven minute short out of that. Actually, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Some of the mashups are not as bad as I thought they uh, would be. They, and uh, seeing Wiley Coyote with like a panel board that says "Witness Me" as he tries to kill and the Roadrunner, sprays Runner. his teeth with yeah. like, the chrome. I'm yeah. watching. I'm like, you know what? That's pretty funny. Mm. I'm not gonna lie. It's, that's actually pretty funny. The, I, that's cute for again, a minute. It's cute for a minute. Yeah. Again, that's the kind of thing. The Looney Tunes did that shit all the time. Yeah, there's a Kevin Blanca, uh, to a lesser extent, the Duxorcist, if you remember that yeah, one. But even long before uh, that, in it, the 1940s, they were doing parodies of a lot of oh, yeah, like, popular movies and, mm. and genres. Yeah, making popular culture references is, has always been part and parcel with the Looney Tunes. So yeah. that, that they are able to make those references isn't the problem here. No, it's not. Uh, I, there was a bit where uh, they didn't know where to find the Tasmanian Devil, and it just sort of landed on their windshield thanks to Rick and Morty, who appear in the film. Kind of funny. Yeah, we, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with your gopher, and then they fly off. And yeah. They, okay, Rick and Morty were there. Kind of funny. Kind of funny, I guess. Uh, and this all culminates in the actual basketball game, which is inside the computer. It's based off of a video game that LeBron James' son was writing at the time, so and it's like super-powered it's video game basketball. It's like it's and, like basketball uh, with superheroes in it, and it's kind of like NBA Jam, and you can like and you get like do style, cool style style points, points and, and do backflips. And Honestly, it's probably and, a fun video game. It's it's fine, and uh, the. Algae Rhythm uh, summons from the real world uh, some real world basketball players, but they're animated superpower versions. So mm. one of them can turn into liquid and fire. One of them is a snake. One of them is a big bird. I'm not uh, a basketball fan, so mm. I don't know like how exciting it is to see these players or if there's any like fun in jokes based on their persona in real mm. life. It, all of that stuff would have gone completely over my head. Uh, I'll just say that right now. Algae Rhythm is able to uh, kidnap millions of human beings beings from the earth uh, via their telephones because they all follow LeBron James. I think it's on Instagram specifically. Yeah. All of his followers are beamed in to be the crowd. Mm-hmm. And if and LeBron James loses, they'll be trapped in the Warner Brothers server verse for forever. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of commentary on, on that the, that could have been done. And it's just not, not <laughs> on the other side of the court is every single character that Warner Brothers owns gathering around in a without context just sort of standing in one place and yelling so uh, yeah, and, if, and it looks like they're like a lot of them like a lot of them are animated like rosie the robot from the jetsons mm-hmm. or king kong or the iron giant and and they're all just sort of doing the same moves over and over again they're always at a fever pitch mm-hmm. there's no crowd work or anything everyone's no, just constantly I'm, screaming and, we see several several jokers uh mr freeze mm-hmm. as he appeared in batman and robin the penguin as he appeared in batman returns mm-hmm. uh and rather notoriously the droogs from a clockwork orange 
orange are in the background mm-hmm. of a scene. And, which is uh, not appropriate for a kid's movie. No, and Sister Jen from The Devils, which Warner Brothers won't even release on Blu-ray. Which That's is the weirdest Particularly thing. galling. If you don't know what we're talking about, this is really interesting, by the way. So We, we reviewed uh, it on this show pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, Ken Russell's film The Devils. Yeah, so amongst a lot of people have gone fishing trying to see which types of characters which obscure movies maybe can be found amongst the crowds in Space Jam A New Legacy and one of them and it's not like far away in the back maybe we're making this up it's right behind Don Cheadle in almost every shot Don Cheadle is in Mm. for the second half of the movie (laughs) it's right in your face there's a character from a Ken Russell film called The Devils. The Devils is uh, a really amazing but absolutely controversial film uh, about uh, a nun who was in love with a. I think was was he was he an archbishop or was he a, a, car- uh, he was a cardinal? He was, he was a cardinal. cardinal. Yeah, a nun who was in love with a cardinal, and even though he was sleeping with people constantly, he had no interest in her. And then she led all of the other nuns into a sexual pagan fervor that led to a gigantic and just completely hedonistic and uh, a sacrilegious orgy that resulted in people being horrifically murdered. That's the movie that has been foregrounded in Space Jam. And Mark Hoyk did a wonderful thread on Mm. this, I think, on Twitter, and I hope you check it out. I've retweeted it, but... um, he was talking about how some people think that, like, you know, this is—I I don't know—it it, everyone thinks it's weird. It's oh. super duper weird. Uh, but what I think is in, what he said was interesting about it is that this is a movie that was controversial when it came out, but Warner Brothers would still occasionally show it or would pop up on TV once in a while. Uh, but in recent decades, it has become a real sort of hot button thing. Warner Brothers doesn't want to piss off their conservative audience, so they have mm. not. Occasionally, it'll it'll the show be like a midnight show, or yeah, or or the or it'll be end up on a streaming service, but the edited American version, which is a little less fucked up, but it's inherently fucked up. Uh, like, and it's like a hair less fucked up. Yeah, it's super duper wild and weird. And I love the movie, by the way, but it's super I saw it, duper. I saw it for the first time this year, and yeah, I, yeah I, I fell in love immediately. It's completely it's in your face about how sacrilegious it is. That's the whole point of the movie. Uh, and Mark Hoyt brought forth the notion that whether this was done intentionally or otherwise, what Space Jam A New Legacy has ironically done is proven that no one gives a shit anymore. Mm. So they might as well just release it. You put them in your kids movie, there was no Fuhrer, nobody cared, just release the goddamn devils already. Also, weird thing that Alonzo Duralde pointed out, Space Jam A New Legacy opened 50 years to the, the day, day after the release of The Devils. What the yeah. hell? How well, is that a coincidence? The 50th anniversary so of The Devils was the, the opening date of That's Space a Jam A New Legacy. That's such a coincidence. You can't yeah. help but build conspiracy theories Although, in your head. It, there are so many characters in here. Uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned the Jetsons already. The Flintstones are in there yeah. as well. Fucking Jabberjaw is in the background yep. of most shots. Uh, you know, we if you look really closely, you'll see characters like... The Animaniacs and Space Ghost mm-hmm. and, you know, if, if you really have a, you know, all of the 1966 Batman characters, if you have a really sharp eye, you probably identify a lot. Uh, evidently, Jim West from Wild Wild West is in there. Hmm. None of these characters have any kind of context or joke attached to them. Nope. It's all just reference. Which is weird because you would think you could do a lot of side jokes. You know, mm. there's, there's a thing that people do. It's uh, uh, Pat Nozzle did a whole bit about it. It's punch-ups. 
It's where they bring in funny people, comedians, to uh, just basically find jokes to throw into a movie. Yeah. Uh, you you even cast Sarah Silverman in the movie as a Warner Brothers executive. Can you like ask her to like go home for a weekend and come up with some funny gags that Warner Brothers characters could do in the stands at a basketball game? Because I'm telling you, you have an infinite number of intellectual property combinations. You can't think of anything? What a waste. Yeah, the, not, not, nothing is done with any of these characters. Mm. Uh, any, and of the, any of the potential, yeah. So as, as such, they're sort of like sh- sh- shoving them really hard in your face, hoping that recognition is going to be enough thrill to carry the film. Oh, and look it, at that. It's the nun from the devils. And I'm sold. And it's, and it's a sports movie. So, you know, you're going to want to root for the good guys. Yeah. Um, I don't care. No, yeah. uh, I, I don't care who wins uh, because this is the fact, the, 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 the fact this that this is, movie oh exists mm. means that algae rhythm won. Al- algae rhythm has won. Yeah, that's it. The, the corporate no... algorithm has, has indeed won. Yeah. Uh, and, more and more studios are relying on sort of algorithms and audience behavior in order to dictate what is going to come next on their slate. Yep. Um, it, you know, you can find articles on this. There was an article Recently. just this week in, yeah. the, I think it was the Hollywood reporter that uh, talked about how Hollywood is increasingly relying on artificial intelligence to dictate content. And, uh, yeah. and I call it content because that's what this movie is. Yeah. We, uh, we don't generally like the term content because it, undermines the value of art it cheapens art it cheapens our art and work and other things that creators do yeah and And, uh, space jam a new legacy is content it is it is it is content the movie yeah we are going to make a movie of content about how great content is uh yeah uh, if this had and, and additionally, it's relying on like so much nostalgia and recognition that it is not bothering to forge any kind of identity of its own. No. It's not bringing these things together to make any sort of point about visual noise or chaos. The, the story is, fact, is cobbled together from shit like Hook. It's and know? in fact, it falls back on a lot of that Warner Brothers store mentality that we're going to hip these things up. The, the Looney Tunes are turned into CGI creations at some mm-hmm. point in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which they're kind of disgusted by. Yeah. And then there's a scene where they stop and they have a rap battle. And I'm like, when they did what? I mean, <laughs> if this was a Canon movie in like 1990, I think I'd be okay with people stopping a basketball game to have a rap mm-hmm. battle. But when it's Porky Pig, I want to puke on my puke. <laughs> I want to puke on my puke needs to be like, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back for a second because I'm watching this. I, I saw this movie a little later than a lot of other critics. A lot of people saw it early. Mm. Uh, various people saw it on like Saturday or whatever. And I, I ended up seeing this on like Sunday afternoon. And by that time I had heard the ire. I had heard uh, people saying it's the worst thing ever. And you know, that it sounds like hyperbole because of course that's hyperbole. Mm. It's not literally the worst thing ever, but that's how many people feel. I think that's valid. So I'm watching it and it's shallow. It's empty. It is thematically bankrupt. It is also, and I have to admit this better than the original space jam. I'm willing to concede that much that this is as a movie, just Mm -hmm. as, as a sequence of events, 
it has more going on. There's more bits that are like at least momentary bits that are funny. Hmm. Don Cheadle is really trying to make this villain work. He's really trying to be entertaining and he's successful more than I think people are giving him credit for. Uh, and overall, I think they managed to pack the movie with more incident to keep it at the very least alive in a way that Space Jam 1 rarely did. Space Jam 1 really felt cobbled together off of scenes that were just laying around yeah, and they that's... got taped together uh, with with <laughs> scotch tape and bubble gum. And it just, it really is barely a movie, the original. And this one, it's not a good movie. It's a very derivative movie. It's a movie that only exists to sell you itself, uh, which, yeah, okay, one could argue that's the purpose of every movie, but other movies have other ambitions as well. Uh yeah, I will say this. I had more appreciation for, at the very least, the level of talent that went into making this soulless entity hmm. than I do the original. And I'm willing to, I, I think at okay. the very least, I want to give that much credit. At the uh, very least, I deserve uh, that much. I'll say that it's a good example as to how screenwriting evolves in 25 years. How mm -hmm. we have uh, kind of nailed a certain kind of story now. And uh, to the point where we can sort of plug it into a soulless enterprise and understand the emotional beats and where they're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but everything is a bad idea here. Uh, from the from the very inception to we the already admitted plot, that some of the mashups were kind of funny in a vacuum. Little gags, sure. Yeah, little gags are kind of funny. That's I'm talking I'm about the central idea of the movie, which this mm. movie does not have. Yeah. Uh, to the point where we get a big emotional climax at the end, and I'm going to spoil this um, <laughs> because it's one of the most disgusting things. Uh, second, like right after Porky Pig rapping, which is pretty mm. disgusting as enough. As is. Yeah. So fair warning, you might want to skip ahead a little so bit you if might you really want to skip care about But it. at the very end of the movie, uh, Bugs Bunny has become infected by some sort of like glitch, yeah. some computer virus, and is dying. Bugs Bunny is dying. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's kind of like the digital version of the dip from Roger Rabbit. He's going to mm. die. Yeah. Or like Superman and, uh, being killed by Doomsday. This yeah, is a big and, deal. And, yeah. and, he, and he falls over and, and Lola Bunny, is, who's back from the movie as well, is like cradling and everybody's gathered around Bugs yeah. Bunny. And, uh, Somebody actually thought this was a good idea for Bugs Bunny to to, to kill off Bugs Bunny, to have him die in your yeah. movie. Not in a comic way, like he no, does really, in Opera it's, it's Doc sad. or something. Like, I wish they had done it in a funny way. That at least would have yeah. been track. But like, no, no, like legitimately like if, if he sad. did like a Bugs Bunny death, like, oh, yeah, I'm dying, like that kind of thing, that would have been funny. But <laughs> you know, good, actually. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. But no, he, none of that. It's like this really tearful moment where Bugs Bunny is about to pass away yeah. on camera. And <laughs> he... He looks at all his friends and tears well up in his eyes. He has sacrificed he, himself yeah, for the Warner Brothers 3000 so, so streaming to, service, but also to stop the streaming service. To, so I really to, don't understand So to it. protect uh, Warner Brothers' ownership of Jabberjaw, Bugs Bunny has sacrificed his life. Thank goodness. And his, he's dying on the ground, and he looks up in the heavens and says his last words, That's all, folks. And he fucking ascends into heaven on a beam of fucking light. And I, I reached for my mouth and realized I had ground my teeth down to nothing because I was so infuriated by this moment. Spoilers over. Anyway, I really hated the ending. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good film. Um, I, it's, it's. 
It's, it's so weird. I don't know. if I just don't have it in me to have the same animosity anymore. I'm just sort of used to this level of animosity. Please do not take my sort of neutral animosity mm-hmm. for uh, not being critical of this. And and again, I'll, I'll, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you dig it, great. Go for it. Knock yourself out. This is, this is our take on it. Mm-hmm. Okay? I know that there's a lot of people are really, really uncomfortable with a lot of negative criticism right now. It's kind of out of fashion. Um, and certainly it can be really hyperbolic. Of course it can. So it can praise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this is a movie that isn't just kind of like inept or, or you know, shabbily put together or clearly, uh, you know, something that was, uh, you know, created by marketing department instead of a movie. This is a movie that very sadly just only exists to bolster a corporation. Yeah. It's not like, oh, the corporation spent money to tell this story that might have other redeeming value. No. It, this, this is, is uh, this is only existing to sell yeah. and, uh, and frankly literally it's, it's just a metaphor for HBO Max. Yeah. It's here to sell HBO Max. It's that's uh, weird and and frankly I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a genuinely bad thing to put into the universe. And it and it's and additionally it's ugly. It's not fun to look at. Uh, I think the energy level is actually pretty low. Like incident, yes, a lot of color and movement and slick animation. Yes, all of that. But I the the sight of all of these pop culture figures sort of crammed together in the stands of a basketball game without any kind of context, is, isn't a thrill. It's just mm. this big, ugly mashup that looks like a, a poster in a toy store. Uh, just, uh, it looks like HBO barfed rather than... Uh, I'm going to keep on alluding to vomit, yes. Uh, <laughs> it, with, without any sort of rhyme, reason, or, or anything. It's just I not, fun. They, it's just I not fun on the eyes. I wonder if they, if they had incorporated some of those characters more, they would have had to pay more of the original creators and they just didn't want to do that. That's possible, maybe. Yeah, like you, if, throw, if, you throw the character, you, you throw like Jabberjaw Bryce, into the yeah. background. You don't have to pay the creator of Jabberjaw, but once he has lines and starts doing stuff with the plot, you do. Like, oh, and so well, we get Frank, really Frank Welker's expensive. alive. We have to get him back. Yeah. Oh, we, we can't afford Frank Welker. Yeah, uh, yeah you can. Uh, <laughs> Frank Welker, will, you can get Frank Welker. Two thirds of the people in that audience were voiced by Frank Welker, <laughs> and he can do twenty of them at a time. He's that talented a, a voice actor. We need to move on. Uh, the Space Jam: A New Legacy. It's not good, and no, I know that some people will dig it anyway, and that's fine. But we have our critiques, and that's our critique. Let's just move right. on. Ready Player One meets Saving yeah. Mr. Banks. Uh, there's another sequel hmm. that is available on a major streaming service, and this one is very different. Uh, it is Fear Street, sixteen sixty six or one six six six. This is the third installment of a trilogy that's been released one movie a week. If you've missed the last couple of episodes, we reviewed both the original films. Uh, they're all directed by Lee Janiak, uh, who at this point is <laughs> instant horror royalty, if he wasn't already. Uh, and uh, the first film took place in 1994, and it was about... Uh, a queer couple in high school whose relationship gets tested when uh, in a, like a, a centuries old curse from a witch, mm-hmm. uh, which causes someone every few years in this small town to 
lose their mind and become possessed by the devil and kill people they, like in on mass like a slasher villain they, they transform into a slasher villain and this has been yeah. happening every couple of years for many many years yeah. uh, in this town of shady side yeah and yeah and shady side is cursed and over the years everybody has yeah. sort of come to accept that they're just sort of cursed and life is awful yeah uh and uh, so this is about uh, a couple of teenagers who are trying to survive this latest wave of curses and they end up being targeted by the witch and at the end of it, one of them is possessed, and in order to save them, uh, her lover tries to investigate, and this is when we find in uh, 19, the Fear Street 1978, uh, a previous slashing that took place at a summer camp, and that was an ode to 1980s uh, summer camp movies, or late 1970s summer camp movies as well, uh, and that movie kicked ass. And then the end of this one, or the end of that one, rather, uh, left us on a cliffhanger that sent the protagonist back in time to 1666. Now this is, I, this it, is, it, I, I didn't know where the story was going to go and I wasn't sure if it was going to be like some kind of time travel story. I'm glad it wasn't because instead what it, it does is it projects characters that we've seen from the first two movies into mm. roles that their ancestors played out in oh. a really horrible crucible mm. type drama in 1666. Not, not necessarily their ancestors, but all... Well, it, some of it's, them. It's 1666, and a lot of the... All of the, the actors we've seen from the previous movies are now playing different roles mm-hmm. in the past. Some of them are uh, very definitely the, ancestors. The, the lead from uh, part 90, 1994 is now uh, Sarah Fear. The, the where, witch in question. The witch in question, and the, and the character from which the series gets its name. And it's about her, her journey and uh, what really happened to her to start the curse to begin with. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, it all and sure enough, the story we were told is not what actually happened. No, of course, of course, it wasn't. It yeah. was about how um, she was uh, very specifically targeted and persecuted by some very fearful men in the town. Mm. As a, a very familiar story, if you know uh, the history of Salem and the witch trials, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it ends very, very badly uh, for yeah. everyone involved and. The, the town is already f- kind of like under a curse anyway before all of this mm-hmm. demonic nonsense begins and uh by the by the time we get to the end of it we get to see just how much Sarah fear has suffered at the hands of the locals mm-hmm. back in in the 17th century and i got to tell you that's mm. such a great place to take this because mm. there's this frustrating thing where we want to tell stories about witchcraft actual witchcraft mm. But once you start incorporating the actual real-life mass murders of the Salem Witch Trials and the other yeah. witch-hunting you know, nightmares of, the, of our cultural past, um, once you start saying that witches were real, uh, that weirdly in some way kind of like says like the people who were fear-mongering mob mentality doing everything they can to let their misogyny and other phobias uh, give them an excuse to kill women en masse that they were somehow right and that's fucked up and if they had just fed into that it would have been bad i think we've talked about this before how there there are many many films about uh that era of like of the witch trials and Mm -hmm. how uh the victims are the the attempt is to give the victims power is to empower Mm -hmm. the victims of this uh cultural crime by saying oh actually they were real witches and they were kicking ass yeah Uh, Uh, but the problem is that also 
exonerates the murderers because mm-hmm. now they had like a real life excuse to yeah. actually murder all those teenagers. If you can't think of examples off the top of my head, Hansel and Gretel, mm-hmm. witch hunters mm-hmm. or, um, uh, hell, uh, one uh, division ended up having a flashback that incorporated this too. Yeah. yeah uh, so yeah. this is uh, Hocus Pocus is another good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lords of Salem. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, so I, I understand why it's done. It's not done here, thankfully, although yeah. there is a supernatural element. Uh, and that's like maybe the first 60 or 70 minutes of the film. And then there's a hard cut back to 1994 and the rest of the film has to wrap that up. Has to wrap all of that up. And indeed, it's given its own title card, That'd 1994 be, Part 2. That's really fun. I, I had a good time with I that. I really wish it had been two films. You think uh, you think it's been a four film series instead of like a four a, film a series? Yeah. I think everything in 1666 was fine, and it's okay. Release a 60 minute mm-hmm. film. I'm good uh, in, in, in this series because the final part uh, is way too rushed. They mm. introduce a lot of new information, a lot of new elements, and a lot of new action scenarios, and a lot of. Uh, new foes to fight and how they're going to do it and all of these emotional climaxes and how they relate back to all of the other characters from the other two parts to the point where it started to feel like a, like a TV season cliffhanger rather than mm. something a little bit more organically cinematic. Um, Interesting. So uh, I was a little bit thrown by how quickly all of this stuff was coming at us. And there's some, a lot of fun stuff in here. There's a lot of cool I, fun I still stuff love these characters, and I love that the goal is essentially to save the romance between two teenage lesbians. Yeah. And how... Uh, and I also really, really love the motivations of the villain, because when you think about why all of these curses were put into place to begin with, it's to achieve something so unbelievably pathetic. Yeah. That it's to. Well, without, get, I don't want to go. Into, yeah, I want to run this I'll one just for say you, that yeah. it's it's to to just to hold on to like the smallest amount of power. Yeah, and it, it's which is very telling. It's completely meaningless, and yeah. I think it's actually very relevant to what's going on in a lot of the country. Yeah. I loved the ideas and the elements and the characters, mm-hmm. but the filmmaking is at too breakneck a pace for me to enjoy myself. See, I didn't have that problem. I I, I actually. Uh, I see your point about splitting it up, and maybe that would have worked. I think it's worth remembering that. Um, Initially, this wasn't intended for Netflix. This was going to be a trilogy of films, and mm. releasing a 60-minute film was probably never on the agenda. Yeah. Like, releasing in theaters. That was never going to happen. So this was the structure that they dealt with, um, and I, Netflix picked it up at some point. Um, so I don't know how likely that was ever have been to have been even considered. But regardless, interesting point. For me, uh, I, th- I I was not expecting this to be kind of two films. I expected mm-hmm. it to sort of wrap up 1994 in like a quick coda. So the fact that we ended up getting like 45 minutes of it is awesome for me. Um, I thought the whole time travel element, the whole uh, going back to 1666, uh, was thematically perfect. Like everything that they actually followed up on and they created like this wonderful legacy of misogyny and homophobia that have tainted this town. Uh, for centuries and we see the through line of that and you're right for such meager gain Mm. just to just to hold the tiniest amount of power people would make people suffer endlessly and that is the history of civilization isn't it um so all of that stuff was great it's a little a little inexpensive Mm. like for like a period piece or whatever like that but it still holds together pretty well (laughs) it feels more like a tv show budget yeah, for that kind of like colonial yeah. town than like something you'd see in like the actual movie of the Crucible. But and I, and I guess that's sort of my central criticism. I I do really like this movie, by the way. I, yeah. I like this whole series of movies. I think 
1994 is probably my favorite one, mm-hmm. um, and 78 is not bad either. Yeah. Uh, this one feels a lot more like a TV sort of structure in that mm-hmm. we're trying to sort of climax and, and wrap things up so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I think the fact that they're trying to make two movies at once means they're cutting a lot of corners in terms yeah. of like budget and characters, and so a lot of stuff feels, I, to repeat myself, very rushed. I think that there's an interesting thing, though, and I think maybe... Um, when you're watching a movie that is very specifically intended to be a trilogy mm-hmm. or, or more, but whatever, like it was designed to take place over multiple films. Uh, filmmakers have a couple of options here and they can focus entirely on making each movie work as an individual unit, or you can focus on when people will watch these all three in a row. Mm. That's one of the reasons why at the end of return of the King, it feels like the movie takes forever to end. That's because for the individual movie, Return of the King, yeah, like about Mm. the last 45 minutes of that thing is just falling action and it's kind of dull. But if you watched it over the course of a day or a weekend, that structure feels fine because it took 45 minutes to set up in the first place. So you have as much rise as you have fall. Mm. Here, I was actually sort of fine with it because I'm I'm thinking about like, okay, we had that like quick adrenaline rush of 94, which I, I love the characters, but I actually thought it was too rushed at the beginning. Okay. Um... Then we had that incredible centerpiece, Camp Nightwing 1978, which was just its own movie, and it was wonderfully paced and really, you know, period accurate in terms of, like, the overall feel of it, and it was just really great. Uh, and then we had that fantastic uh, sort of revelation, this giant flashback. But then we have to go back to resolve things in 1994, and 1994 never had its actual climax. So this is the actual second half of that movie. Mm. So for me... I I appreciate maybe wanting a whole other movie about it, but for me, this is the whole third act of like 1994 as a three-hour movie. Mm. And at that level, on that pacing, I thought it worked just fine. Mm. Uh, it's it's really exhilarating. Uh, the characters are really, really great. Um, it's, it's funny when it needs to be. There's a lot of attention to detail. Like a little tiny thing from the very first scene in 94 paid off beautifully <laughs> in the climax. I just really, I forgot, I forgot it had happened until it did. 94 opens in a mall and, yeah. uh, and the end of the third part climaxes in that yeah. same mall. But they make so, a yeah. lot out of it. Like it ends up being like really, really clever and fun. And, um. It works for me. Honestly, this whole damn thing works for me. Do I have a few quibbles here and there? Yeah, but I don't give a shit. Because the quibbles don't ruin anything for me. Like it, it, the, There's a lot of movies out there that I love, and then I'll watch a scene from it and go, well, that makeup effect never works, did it? Or something like that. Minor things. But they connect me to the filmmakers. Here are filmmakers who were trying really, really hard to make something amazing, and maybe they tried too hard, or maybe they went down a, a one path a little too far and had to get get themselves back from it. But the absolute whirligig, you know, daredevil energy of like the first half of 1994, which just was so fast paced that it took me a while to get on board, comes from someone who is clearly incredibly passionate about introducing mm-hmm. these characters in this world so they can start playing in that sandbox. So. I can't even be mad at that now, especially now that I've seen everything that came after. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, like we can we can quibble about little things, but I think what we have witnessed here is a modern horror classic, like right out of the box. Oh, absolutely, and uh, I think that's the, uh, amazing. It's it's incredibly ambitious. I love the the size of the story. I'm glad that they were able to make a horror story 
feel expansive without feeling bloated. Yeah, especially it's hard to do for a slasher in particular. Yeah, um, it's a very like, simple you, story. You compare this to something like the It movies, mm-hmm. how those things just like got way too top heavy, way fast. Oh, yeah, the second half uh, of It never worked. No, Even in the no, book. like yeah. <laughs> it never worked. They, they never should have made the second half. Just, no, just end it at the first Done. half. You're yeah. good. You're, the kids beat the clown. Great. It, and that's the end. That's defeated. It'll come back eventually, maybe. Isn't that scary? We're done. Yeah, we're done. Thank uh, you. I, I understand it. Yeah, that's actually like a, a intergenerational kind of legacy story. But anyway. Yeah, but the, um, the next part of that story doesn't work, does yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like there is a more elegant way. This is something that uh, like did a really impressive like backflip as part of its dismount and then kind of stumbled right at the last second. And not, Still a great backflip. I'm still giving it a very high grade, though, because <laughs> it was very impressive what I did. And yeah. uh, and it, indeed, uh, those shabby elements kind of endear it a little bit more in certain ways that yeah. it's it's so... Uh, it doesn't feel so too ex- slick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so excited to go so many places that it actually kind of like drops a few balls while it's juggling. I think that's, yeah. that's no grievous sin, but uh, I feel like there was a, a tidier way to tell the story that it wants to tell. That, sure. that's that's my only complaint I, and I so think I that's think, fair but so I, I don't think, think that's is, that big a deal this has a lot going on but it's a little too uh, too broad to, to function as a perfect film so I think this is kind of the weakest part of it maybe as, as a movie if we have to judge them as individual mm-hmm. chapters we can all have our favorites and that's fair what I think is exciting is that someone had the opportunity to tell a story this gigantic and messy in the slasher genre this is the cheap exploitation genre that often has no idea whatsoever we just have a mask in the location or at least it did 30 years ago well yeah. yeah but like but that's the majority of the of the of the genre was like this big sweet spot where they were everywhere every weekend mm-hmm. um so yeah this i love the ambition i think they pulled it off quite beautifully the characters are fantastic i like that it actually is about something in a way that makes a lot of sense and actually has something to articulate um, good for fucking yeah. them. Everyone, right. everyone, kudos for this. You did a wonderful <laughs> job. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Again, I, I, I think the my the first part is my favorite, and the, and what what Lee Janiac really nails is the characters, and actually uh, yeah. putting them in a scenario where they get to express themselves and who they are mm. is really really big. I think maybe the sixteen sixty six stuff is a little bit more frustrating because they're not playing modern characters. They kind of have to modernize mm-hmm. 17th century uh, behavior. Yeah. And as such, the characters start to feel a little bit more like archetypes as than they did. And in, in even the ones that are very clearly inspired by 30 year old slasher movies. Fair. But in addition to, you know, revealing the mm. complexities of the plot, which all track um, that has an important thematic context. Mm. And I think it, it establishes, that the the oppression and hatred and institutions that are holding us back now all stem from a time when people were the same kinds of people, mm-hmm. but the oppression was more even more institutionalized than before, and we're still trickling down. And yeah, people yeah. will do anything to keep that institution no, again, alive. It's just, the, it, it the tracks, idea it is fine. I think it's it works. Just, uh, I just okay. think it works. I think it works. Anyway, right. we need to move on. Do you want to talk? Okay, we got two more films left. Do you want to talk about yeah. Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, or Gunpowder Milkshake? Well, tell me about Escape Room because I didn't okay. get to see this one. I did see the original Escape Room. Which, what did you think uh, of the original Escape Room? Uh, 
good for a January release. Uh, yeah. It, it was, I think it was the first film that came out that year, and um, like it came out on like January 6th. It was like right away. Yeah. And it was completely absurd. The idea is a bunch of strangers are lured to an escape room. They're so hip right now, those escape rooms. Uh, and if I, each of the characters are, are given a backstory, the motivation as to why they want to uh, yeah. win and, this escape room. And the original, the every, and the original, every single person there was the sole survivor of some kind of disaster. Yeah. So that, and they all have something at stake and the escape room is, it's essentially the holodeck on Star Trek. It's like so unbelievably <laughs> elaborate. Nobody could actually build something like this. Yeah. It's like, we're going to wait around in the lobby. Oh wait, the lobby is the escape room. And it's also an oven. Yeah. Uh, and so if we so, don't yeah, solve it in time, we'll burn alive. It, it's like saw, but like a lot less gory and dour and just yeah. a lot more stupid. It's PG 13 saw. That's yeah, what it is. PG 13 saw with these really elaborate death traps. And yeah. like, here's an upside down room and we might fall down a, a, a cliff and, for what it's worth, like trying to solve the mystery of these ridiculous puzzles was kind of a hoot. Uh, I, yeah. I, f- I feel like the the puzzles were visually clever, if not at all plausible. And that's and all end, you need. Yeah, and the end of that movie, it was revealed like two people escaped at the very end of the movie, and uh, they resolved to find who built the death traps and and take them down. Yep, and that's where we pick up an escape room tournament of champions. Uh, The surviving characters, played by Taylor Russell and Logan Miller, have been trying to investigate uh, the mysterious Minos Corporation. Uh, Nobody believes them. Nobody believes anything that they got going on. I do appreciate one thing about this. There's there's a lot of things I actually appreciate. I actually like this movie. Uh, One of the things I really like about it at the beginning is when Taylor Russell is like talking to her therapist. Her obsession with the Minus Corporation isn't about revenge, isn't about taking them down. It's that she had to watch all of those human beings die horribly in the first film, mm. and that mattered. Yeah. I like that. That's okay. a great start for a horror movie, is that the deaths from the previous film mattered. Too many horror films are quick to just gloss over them. I think it's, that's great. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite elements of uh, the otherwise not very good uh, Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie version. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like like the, everyone's really dealing with the PTSD. Of, yeah, yeah, the first third of that movie is, is a, it's very sad. It's all about yeah. sort of the mourning and, and the, the horror that was visited upon them. I would have been okay if there were no deaths in that movie, if it was just about the healing process. Yeah, I, I, one of my favorite setups for any horror sequel ever was actually... Um, what was it? What was the subtitle? It was Waxwork 2 Lost in Time? You ever see that? Um, was it Lost in Time? or It's Lost the, in Time. Through the Portal. No, that's no, Beastmaster. Beastmaster was through, through the Portal, the portal of time. time. No, no. Waxwork, yes, two, waxwork, two, waxwork 2 Lost in Time. The two Waxwork movies are two of the most underrated horror movies ever made. They're incredibly creative and fun. Hmm. It's impo- I think it's impossible to have a bad time watching them. Yeah, and for whatever reason, nobody talks about them. The, fir- the first one's a little cheaper, but it's a little more solid. The second one is just a carnival. Yeah, it's like, great. It just, it just goes balls to the so wall. The original film was about uh, a group of teenagers who go to a mysterious wax museum full of like these like morbid dioramas of like people being eaten hmm. by werewolves or killed by the Marquis de Sade. And, uh, but if you step into the diorama, now you're trapped in that time period living out that horror story. It's fun. The second film uh, opens with the survivors of that horrible event uh, on trial because nobody believes their bullshit story about magic. And so the plot kicks off when they have to find evidence of magic to prove that they are that they weren't responsible for death. So they have to go back into like the devil's labyrinth or whatever and like they end up stuck in what's called God's Nintendo and just traveling from one alternate horror movie dimension to another. It's a hoot. Um, so then this one, 
the motivation is clear. We're not just seeking out this corporation for plot purposes. We're seeking this out because we were emotionally damaged by the previous events, and that's cool. Um, they go to New York, and when they try to investigate uh, further, they end up getting lured onto a subway car, and then the subway car, turns out, is the new escape room. And everyone on the subway car has previously survived one of these killer escape rooms. And they're picking them off. They're they're getting rid of all the loose ends. Um, and that's it, basically. We're, on, we're in a series of escape rooms once again. Uh, there are certain horror movie franchises where I don't give a shit about anything so long as you deliver the goods. Uh-huh. Final Destination is a perfect example of this. Yeah. It doesn't matter how bad the story is if the way that death manipulates reality to kill people in like this hilarious and unexpected Rube Goldberg fashion, if the death kills are great, rest of the movie doesn't matter. Mm. That's where we're at here. If the escape rooms are fun, then I don't care about anything else. And the escape rooms are fun. We got a bunch of people. And I, what I like about it is that everyone's actually trying to solve like a puzzle. It's not just like, and they're actually solvable, which is always good. Um, it's not like it's like some of the later Saw movies, like the death traps were never intended to be escapable, which yeah. is a cheat. That's the plot of the movies, but it is a cheat. Um, so uh, here we have an escape room that's in an electrified subway car. Uh, and there's an escape room that's uh, kind of like a bank heist, which is kind of fun. There's like a laser grid, and you have to use diamonds <laughs> to cut things, and that's really really cool. There's an escape uh, a room that's all of a sudden they're like underneath New York City, and now underneath New York City they're at the beach. <laughs> and the beach might be a giant hourglass, that, and the sand's gonna pour out and suffocate everybody. That, that was a big part of the uh, the mm. original, is like the implausible, d- yeah, like they're yeah. Out- outdoors, even though they're indoors, that yeah. kind of stuff. All of that shit's completely stupid, but totally awesome. Uh, there's a couple of bits where they think they might have escaped, but maybe they didn't. Mm. The escape rooms are great. The escape rooms are fun. They're suspenseful. I love the score and the sound design for these movies. Mm. They create this wonderful. Uh, almost jack-in-the-box kind of tension where, like, everything's kind of speeding up and you can hear the gears turning and you know shit's about to go down. And it's hard not to get wrapped up in it. It's it's a hoot. The characters are, you know, some of them die quicker than others, but the ones that we meet and spend time with are likable and interesting and distinct, and I don't want them to die. Mm. It ends with not one, but two of the stupidest plot twists I've ever heard now this is a, a pretty stupid it is. premise it is stupid like, it's like a stupid by premise. design no, it's a stupid premise by design so i'm you i'm this does not sink the movie but it is worth pointing out that there is not one but two plot twists in this movie that make no sense at all in fact the second one in particular mm. Makes the opposite of sense. Like you, once you realize what this whole <laughs> the opposite of sense. It's like no, because like when you think about like what, why, why did we have this movie? Was to get from A to Z. Basically, yeah. we had to get all all the events of the movie had to take us and the characters from this point to this point for the story to work. And then you realize at the end of the movie that you didn't need you didn't need B through Y. <laughs> We didn't need B through Y to get from A to Z. It makes no sense. It's incredibly stupid. And I don't care because the movie never pretends it's smart. Hmm. That's the trick. That's how you get away with shit like this is if you don't pretend 
you're smart. Like if Space Jam A New Legacy had just been completely upfront about like how shallow and stupid and how like listen we're not pretending this makes any sense mm-hmm. we just thought it'd be cool to get lebron james and the looney tunes together and then we're gonna all have some fun and do some jokes and like oh hey here's space ghost i might have been really forgiving because at the very least you're not pretending it's a real film right so here they're not pretending it's a real film the actors are doing their best to make sure that we care if their characters live or die that matters that's a reality that is important everything else about this escape room franchise doesn't make any sense at all but i don't care because the central sort of amusement park conceit here yeah you know like like when you're in the haunted mansion and all of a sudden like you realize oh my god there's no door in this place how are we gonna get out like that kind of thrill you this chilling challenge yeah exactly it's it's that kind of a thrill it did that very well i can't be mad at that i had a very good time so if you like the first one, I think you're going to really like the second one. If you've never seen them, they're a hoot. Mm. They're stupid, but they're a hoot. And I think you'll have a really, really there's, good time if you watch them. If you watch them as like that same way you would watch. What Fast and Furious is to action movies, Escape Room is to <laughs> horror, which is to say, I'm here for the good stuff. It makes no sense, I, and I, I don't like, care. I feel like in terms of like cranking into the high octane, the Happy Death Day movies might have a similar attitude to, to Fast and Furious. But Happy Death Day is actually the second a, one. Yeah, well, Happy uh, Death Day is a movie actually about stuff, well, which I true. think is true. Um, like they're genuinely great yeah, films. Um, Final Destination is is a good comparison. To, I think so. To, uh, Fast and Furious. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said for for dumb, and uh, yeah. and I'm saying that uh, on the heels of having reviewed Space Jam. Uh, yeah. It's idiocy is not necessarily a bad thing if you understand that there is always going to be sort of a a, a grindhouse haunted house quality especially to yeah. horror movies um i think i'm willing to forgive horror movies because of that carnival atmosphere that they create yeah. when you're in the theater and it's late at night and you're there with a date and everybody's sort of screaming in unison you're experiencing something different than necessarily what the art is trying to say. You're experiencing a very base kind of thrill. And I think there's something very organic and, and gorgeous that the horror genre in particular can provide in that regard. Yeah. Uh, so I, I understand what you're talking about and that uh, it's dumb, but why not? Yeah, it's dumb, but it's not pretending to be anything else. And it's a good kind of dumb. It's yeah. an entertaining kind of dumb. And it's the kind of dumb that doesn't ruin the movie. It almost amplifies it. So, yeah. uh, so again, Everything is context. What makes one movie work can make another movie not work. Yeah. Depending yeah. on all the other factors that are involved. So, um, so some movies have the same thing, but they don't have enough of it or they have yeah. too much of it. And, yeah. Or, or once you, once you add in a, this particular theme, all of a sudden what is in good taste in this other movies in bad taste in this movie, it, it, every movie is different. Even gunpowder milkshake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, um, uh, a lot of really slick style, but in the service of pretty much nothing. Nothing. Um, we, we have Gunpowder Milkshake. Um, yeah. Gunpowder Milkshake is the latest film from an Israeli director named Navat Papashado, uh, and uh, who has a, a few credits to his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did some horror movies with Aharon Kishalas. Uh I saw Rabies. It was considered the first feature-length Israeli horror movie. Um, it's okay. okay. I wasn't a big um, fan, but like, you know, it's uh, it's... And uh, and I'm not a big fan of this. Um, you and I have talked a lot about sort of uh, in the wake of the movie Pulp Fiction. Yeah. How there was this gigantic slew of highly stylized imitators. Yeah. Now, uh, there was now this new burgeoning subgenre of incredibly stylized, really uh, flip, 
uh, scuzzy action movies where mm. death was treated very flippantly. Yeah, and, and characters and, all had monologues about pop culture. Yeah, and there were a lot of pop culture monologues, and everybody like had weird or quirky habits. Mm. Uh, sometimes they were understated. Sometimes they were very overplayed. Gunpowder Mil- Milkshake is one of those. Well, it could have come out in 1996 at, without too many changes. I'm going to say this right now. I think uh, I, I was with you until you said mm. it's one of those because um, I don't think Gunpowder Milkshake is one of these like post Tarantino things. I think it would come out like right after Kill Bill. You might have had a good argument with that. Uh, by the way, uh, the Ur example, if you will, of the uh, post Pulp Fiction ripoff movie. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Uh, not Suicide Kings or mm. uh, um, even Wave the Gun is one of those things. No, I think, uh, I think uh, the one that... Goodbye that's, Lover. I think the one that is just middle of the road, uh, <laughs> just does the pattern. Truth or Consequences, Truth New Mexico. All right. Anyway, but um, I digress. Uh, Clay, uh, Clay Pigeons is... is well, Clay is actually yeah. good, though. Yeah. Clay Pigeons actually becomes its own thing. Sometimes you can rip something off, but you add enough to it that it feels like it's its own thing. Yeah. Like, Speed is a diehard knockoff. But it's just, it, they did enough with it that it felt like a new kind of vibe. It's Speed in a building. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing about that one. Anyway, um, but Gunpowder Milkshake feels like it's got a lot more to do with films. Like, oh. Hey, Luca. Sorry, he just booped my hand. Uh, uh, feels like it has a lot more to do with films like uh, John Wick. Or the raid. These are like nonstop action extravaganzas with a very well, oppressive sense of style. Yeah, or or the, movies like uh, Sin City, for example. It, it's like really it's, in your um, face stylistic exercises. Really, really uh, stylistic. And the comparison to John Wick is appropriate hey, because John Wick is uh, takes place in a universe where everybody's an assassin. Yeah. And they go to a hotel where all the assassins are all safe. They're not allowed to murder the, each other there. Yeah. And. Uh, and all of the weaponry is fetishized to the point of it being like oat oat uh, style. Yeah, it's like the highest possible fashion. Like you go into uh, like a you get tailored as part of being an assassin. You get a yeah. tailored suit, and you go to the gun store inside the mm-hmm. the hotel, and they're all very classy about it. And this this goes back to there's like a long history of crime movies where the criminal underworld is portrayed as a very fetishistic. Yeah. Sort of enterprise, everything from the Italian job mm. to driver to warriors. Walter Hill did this a lot. Mm. Um, so that that's all part of a grand tradition. Yeah. Uh, Gunpowder Milkshake has a very similar premise in that it takes place in a world full of assassins. Uh, Karen Gillan plays the lead assassin, uh, who uh, we get to see in a flashback. Her mother, who's played by Lena Headey, uh, abandoned her uh, at a shootout at a diner. And the diner is sort of like the hotel in John Wick in that people aren't allowed to kill each other there. It's a neutral ground. But this diner is the super stylized 1950s diner. I'd rather stay at the hotel in John Wick, quite frankly, than just (laughs) hang out at a 1950s diner, of which we actually have. I think the hotel is more expensive. I suppose so. Yeah. But we had to get those fancy gold coins. You and I live in the same neighborhood as a restaurant called Cafe 50s, which is actually quite good. Yeah, it's uh, okay. It's, it's, they have, they have like a hundred different milkshakes. It's great. They have this awesome, uh, their walls are covered in like old, like movie magazines and posters. And there's this one poster. What is it? Is it thunder over Hawaii or something where mm-hmm. there's a woman falling off of a boat and a guy's trying to grab her, stop her from falling off a boat, but he's using one of those big, long, like I know what you did last summer fish hooks. And the hook like, <laughs> hooks into her clothes and you can see it's like about to rip her blouse off Mm. but it's also about to save her life and it's like this incredibly sleazy dynamic composition that i've just always been kind of stunned by (laughs) like what a what a poster right anyway uh 
Anyway, we, we flash forward to the present. It's Karen Gillan. Uh, she gets involved in a plot about uh, kidnapping. She has to rescue some, uh, a young girl who's been kidnapped. Well, she's not supposed um, to. She's just supposed to kill the guy who stole this money from the firm. But oh, then right. she finds and... out that the guy stole the money because his daughter had been kidnapped. And now, because you know she knows what it's like to lose a parent, after she shoots the guy, she says, okay, but I have to save the, the young girl. Mm. But in the process of saving the girl... The money gets literally blown up, and now the firm is after her because she screwed them over. Um, uh, Simple yet elaborate. It's uh, impressive. And, of course, she has... They have this entire, like, really complicated system of how they exchange guns and exchange information in this universe. Mm. And so uh, Karen Gillan ends up spending a lot of time at a library, which is overseen by uh, Michelle Yeoh... Angela Bassett and Carla Cuccino as like the lead librarians who give her and there's no explanation as to why it has to work this way. Uh Uh, Once they reveal that they're they're all criminals, you'd think they could just use regular language, but they still use here's a Beretta, here's a shotgun. Exactly. No, it's like, oh no, you're going to need a Virginia Wolf. And they give like this gigantic thick book, which has a gun inside of it. Yeah. Uh, Why? This this is the code they use in this universe. What purpose does this serve? It's it's unclear. Uh, there's uh, there's a fight in a bowling alley where Karen Gillan beats up people with a bowling ball and kills a guy with a bowling ball yeah. by bowling it down the ground. Uh, yeah. There's a scene in a disused, uh, like, it's like a disused Tower Records or Blockbuster Video. There's a shootout there. There's guys in monster masks. Uh, and it all climaxes in a big shootout back in that library where uh, the, mm. the four leads, who are all excellent actresses and excellent action stars unto themselves, all get to do cool action stuff. Yeah, there's... It's, there's... There's one bit in the middle I actually kind of liked that I hadn't seen before, which was um, Karen Gillan's at like an illegal like crime doctor, and uh, because now like her life is forfeit and he's got he's up for the bounty as well, he injects her with a paralytic that like affects her arms so they're very limp. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. has like the little kid tape a gun and a knife to her hands so mm, that she, she can, can kind of swing them around. Yeah. And yeah, there's a bit where she has to sort of fling yeah. her shoulder uh, so her arm will fling up and like yeah. fire a gun at just the right minute. And I'm gonna tell you that right now. That one I haven't seen. That's true. That was actually kind of neat. There, are, you there are some creative yeah. stunts. It's incredibly, yeah. you know, dynamically filmed. But this is more about world building than it is about trying to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, the the characters are just sort hey. of are cool avatars of themselves Don't rather than playing Luca. interesting characters. That? I'm okay with uh, you know creating an over the top unreal character and an yeah. over the top uh, unreal person. Unreal universe. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Yeah. People do it all the time. Indeed. Um, but I feel like they're not getting at anything. They're not trying to yeah. explode anything or uh, about film style. They're not trying to explore the heart of the characters in by using that style. Mm-hmm. They're just using that style. And uh, you had brought up a film mm. that I was thinking about a lot during this movie called Boon Raku. Yeah. Uh, and let me look up the date on Boon Raku. That was like early 2010s. It, it, it was like 2010, 2011. It was like 2010 or 2011. Um, and yeah. Boon Raku was a very similar thing. It took place in this hyper-stylized universe where mm-hmm. I think it takes place in like fictional countries where history is all kind of blended together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boon Raku came out in 2010. Yeah. Uh, and Stars uh, Josh Hartnett and Ron Perlman and a bunch of other... I think Demi Moore is in it too. And, uh, and it's just this whole thing about like hired killers trying to kill each other. But is. the weird gimmick of the film is that it's all taking place in a world where traditional cinematic techniques have been confused with Japanese puppet theater. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this right now. Mm-hmm. 
there's some amazing imagery in Bunraku. Absolutely. It's and, and, totally worth watching just for that tell, alone. And you can tell that uh, the filmmaker of Bunraku, um, let me look up his name. Yeah, they did uh, their credit. Uh, did, uh, is, his name is uh, Guy Mosha. Mm. And uh, you can tell Guy Mosha is trying to do something kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's casting uh, Josh Hartnett and Demi Moore, but also Ron Perlman and Japanese pop sensation Gact. Uh, yeah. And the narrator is none other than Mike Patton. Uh, if you know oh, Mike, I forgot yeah. about yeah, that. Mike, that Mike was Patton, awesome. Mike Patton is the narrator. So, you yeah. know, he, he knows what he's doing a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> totally forgot about Mike try, Trying to do something a little bit sort of strange and, and off kilter. Unfortunately, just like uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, Bunraku ultimately isn't about much of anything. It's yeah. just somebody trying to show off their filmmaking techniques. It's a big style exercise. Yeah. And a style exercise can be fun, but again, you have to it make has sure... It really good style. As the, the style has to become the substance. Yeah. And that's tricky to do. Um, here, the style feels like... It's, it's like it's all window dressing, but there's nothing in the window. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really frustrating because the cast is great. The production design is great. The costume design is great. Yeah. The, choreo- the choreography uh, is ranges from great to looks stylish enough to be okay. Uh, but yeah, the thing with this movie is there's there's really nothing at the heart of it. Mm. And when you're an action movie, there's a lot of options. You could be about things. You could be about the style. You could be about. Uh, fighting itself. There's a lot of great movies uh, in the action genre that are literally about fighting. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, some some would argue that the definition of a true martial arts movie is that it is actually about martial arts, as opposed that, to just a movie the, where people do martial arts. The, the, that is the ins and outs of martial yeah, arts, like yeah. the the philosophy of it, or uh, people like struggling to uh, live by its principles. Um, many of the best martial arts movies ever made are about exactly that. Uh, so you could argue that, okay, it's just about the fighting, but it's about the why of the fighting, and that has value. Um, you could, Some movies are about brutality, and that's what they are about. Some movies are about how violence, though exciting, is ultimately senseless. The Warriors ends up being kind of about that, too. Mm. Um, yeah, this I, movie I, is frustrating because I feel like it could be about a lot. There's a lot of options here. Like, I was watching this movie, and I was struggling to think about, like, so this movie is so particular. How can it feel so empty? There must be something I'm missing here, and so my brain is like trying to solve this Rubik's puzzle as I'm watching uh, the film, and I'm trying to think about what it could really be about that maybe is going over my head. Mm-hmm. The closest thing I've got, and I don't think it tracks, is this possible idea that it is about uh, men invading women's spaces. Like it's yeah. about the the library and the diner are run by women, and whenever men come in, they ruin it. There, there, there's violence, there's explosions, whatever, and it doesn't really amount to anything. It doesn't really go anywhere with that. So I don't think that's there, but that's the closest that I got because the whole thing about like ah, oh, I was you know separated from my mom and I have mom issues is there's no emotional genuineness to this mm-hmm. that could even briefly like when John because the, the, the characters are too broadly yeah. characterized for yeah. us to really un- understand them like, and get to know them as people if you lop off the opening act of John Wick and you just cut to John Wick going into that hotel room and going on a killing spree you've got a movie you've got a shallow boring movie mm-hmm. you need that opening act as simple as it is 
just to justify why the last thing you should have ever done to this man was kill his dog. Mm. Because that justifies every single thing he does. It's one thing. It's a very simple thing. But it has so much emotional weight to the protagonist. The John Wick is not an unfeeling character. He feels a lot. Mm. That's the whole point. And when he turns into like soulless killer mode, it's because you've taken away his soul. That's what matters. Here, we don't really see the soul in the characters. Yeah. The, uh, and, and as a result, it doesn't really amount to anything. And it you say it's about men invading women's spaces. No, it's I'm almost, theorizing yeah, maybe it could be, but I don't think it maybe, is. Maybe, but that, yeah, that's sort of like in, almost incidental yeah. because uh, the, the characters are more, they all have their own clubhouse and it yeah. doesn't, and you know, there's nothing important about their space that they would try to keep it. Yeah. Or, and it or doesn't, it, it doesn't it lead it to or anywhere. It can't be yeah. invaded, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, there, I, I was. I too was like trying to figure out what they're trying to say with this film, and I, I couldn't come to any other conclusion other yeah. than films are fun, and yeah. films are fun, and films are fun. Uh, there's a, a type of filmmaking, a type of like really stylized filmmaking that is about fil- other films. It's not necessarily sure. about the characters. It's about stretching and mm-hmm. touching out, uh, just reaching out and touching all of the films that it was influenced by. The, the, half of the uh, French New Wave was like that. Breathless yeah, exactly. is that. that it's considered one of the greatest films ever made. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Breathless is often cited as a really important film because of that, that it's something yeah. that is trying to actively reach out and touch film history, which wasn't done as directly in previous generations. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you fast forward on another generation and they're just doing it twice over. Uh, yeah. You know, Star Wars is definitely one of those movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, then you get to the films of my boss. Not going to comment too much on that because he's my boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but he, he I'll, I'll say it, yeah. he's very much a product of his influences. Exactly. And he'll and, tell and, you all of his influences. He'll happily and, and do he, it. And he, he tends to make movies about influence. Yeah. Um, no comment as to whether or not that's good or bad. But uh, yeah. this is a film that is trying to do that. It's trying to show off how influenced it is by exciting action movies. It's not citing anything in particular though it's mm-hmm. just trying to go for something really kind of wild and retro in this very general sort of way. it just doesn't seem to have anything to say about yeah, those yeah. movies or even like you know and, and i'll again i don't work with Quentin tarantino i can say it um i think one of the interesting things about tarantino's work whether you like his movies or don't is we're kind of getting a reading list mm-hmm. with a lot of his movies and you're getting a sense it's, it's almost like if someone made you a mixtape and like you're excited about this mixtape and the mixtape is really, really awesome. And a lot of Tarantino's films feel kind of like a mixtape and what he pulls from various sources, even if they don't seem on the surface to have any connection, mm-hmm. gives them connection. Kill Bill, the, those two movies, they're not just Kung Fu movies. They pull, pull from everything. Mm. He pulls from every, the Jallo are in there. Like it's, it's wild. These movies have no connection, but he finds a through line again, for better or worse. Uh, here, I'm not even really seeing like a general sense of taste, other than the cinematographer is good. Mm-hmm. Like, what movies are you into, dude? Like, what what specifically is this an homage to, other than in a very general way? It's possible I'm missing it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty well versed in the action genre, uh, in particular fight movies. I, 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 maybe I'm missing it. I'll, I'll grant you. If anyone knows, if everyone's like, no, he's totally 
uh, evoking, you know, this movie and this movie and this movie, and that's totally what the movie is. If anyone can tell me that, please do. Our email address is letters at critically net. Nothing would make me happier than to take a movie that I didn't like and to all of a sudden witness it from a new perspective or gain a new piece of information that all of a sudden unlocks it. And now I get to enjoy that movie. That's a great feeling. It doesn't happen very often, but it's a great feeling. Hmm. So if you can tell me how to unlock Gunpowder Milkshake, not just like I liked it because it's neat. Like, no, there's something I'm missing here. Please do. Because I'm not seeing it, and it's very frustrating because on a superficial level, there's a lot of entertainment value, but it ultimately rings so hollow that I didn't care enough to get that entertainment value. Yeah, yeah it's... It's frustratingly shallow, yeah. Uh, which is true of a lot of the films that we. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a bookend, yeah. isn't it? So uh, let's review movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Once again, that critically acclaimed scale, we review films on a scale of C minus to C plus. The mm. highest movie we can get is a C plus. That is above average. That's everything from the best movie ever made to we simply recommend that you check it out. C is average. That's how grading works. A uh, little bit of good, a little bit of bad, never quite, you know, whatever. It's a C. C minus is below average. We generally don't recommend it, or we happen to think it's the worst movie ever made, or anywhere in the middle. Uh, on that note, Gunpowder Milkshake. Gunpowder Milkshake, a C minus. Yeah, I, I, it's it's super stylized, but why? Uh, it's yeah. yeah, it's not really worth worth seeking out. It's a, it's a out. for me, it's a dispassionate C minus. Like mm. I can, I'll totally understand why some people might enjoy this, but. For me, it's other than thinking to myself, eh, Karen Gillan's probably could do more cool action movies, and there was that one neat choreographed sequence. Mm. Nothing about this is going to linger in my memory. It's just no, very, very no. empty. And it's frustrating because I like the whole cast. Overall, the look is good, but it just doesn't connect to anything. Uh, Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, very low C+. Okay? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean that. Like, it's like, uh-huh. it's this is just over the edge of C+. Mm. Because it is stupid, it is kind of uh, uh, going for almost... I, I, I'm not going to call it like a cheap thrill because it's clearly they put a lot of effort into it, but it feels like a cheap thrill. Hmm. Uh, but it works. It's got a lot of fun escape rooms. I like the characters and didn't want them to die. Uh, and again, there's two incredibly stupid plot points in this movie, and you kind of just have to marvel at them. <laughs> like, wow! That's what we were here for? Holy shit. Um but I had fun, and the movie is exactly what it promised to give us, so you can't complain about it. Uh, Fear Street, 1666. Um, it's a C+. Yeah. I, I enjoy this whole series. I think when taken as like a gigantic project, mm-hmm. it's stronger than this third part, which I think is kind of the weakest of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, But that's not to say it's weak. No. Uh, it's actually uh, still quite strong. I just wish it were like a little bit more solidly constructed. Yeah, but I'm I, still still giving it a C plus. I'm giving it a C plus too, and I'm definitely giving a C plus to the overall Fear Street trilogy. Uh, my personal favorite's the middle, mm. uh, but I, I I think it's the one that works best on its own. Uh, however, I don't think they're intended to work on their own. I think you know you get to see them on their own as chapters, but now they're a trilogy. They're they all tell the same story. It's all very interconnected. Uh, and I think taken as a whole, this is some of the most exciting filmmaking I've seen all year. I really just love the ambition mm-hmm. of it. I love uh, what they've been able to extract from the slasher genre, which so many people have no ambition for whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, Lee Janiac, superstar. Want to see them do a lot more stuff. 
Uh, and uh, there's a very good chance this trilogy, at least as a whole, will end up on my best of the year list. Uh, and then Space Jam, a new legacy. C plus, uh, C plus, C plus. Yeah, sure. C plus. Okay. No, C minus. This, oh. this this was this was a, a really horrendous chore, and yeah. um, all of the negative things you've heard about it are. are pretty much true mm. it is a big soul-sucking endeavor um a lot of people have been surprised that it was a soul-sucking endeavor kind of forgetting the spirit of the original which I, is also a soul-sucking yeah, endeavor. i don't understand why you're surprised that the new one was bad considering that frankly again i think it's better than the original it's still bad mm. i think I, it just works a little of, better as a film but like it's still not a good i film. suppose in terms of like filmmaking it's it's yeah. a little bit more the, uh, focused the pacing's but, stronger there's yeah. actually more clever bits in it and i think don Cheadle is actually really really doing a pretty those, good job of making his scenes work those things yeah. don't make it a good movie agreed but i do want to give credit where credit is due because yeah, right. it's so easy to get swept up in the hyperbole and uh, the the overall just negativity mm-hmm. about of the criticism, all of which I think is warranted. Uh, but I do want to give credit where credit is due because fair enough. But yeah, it's it's a heartless endeavor. Uh, it makes no sense thematically or even of its own plot. Uh, it's way too damn long. Uh, oh, and also uh, LeBron James is fine. I just want to make it. Somebody was saying he's the worst <laughs> actor ever. He's fine. He's, he's better than Michael yeah. Jordan, if you ask me. Um, but um, yeah, it, it ultimately it's. A, a very empty corporate product that isn't pretending to be anything but a corporate product except it kind of is because it's suggesting that you're supposed to have a real meaningful emotional connection to the product, to product yeah and but the thing is that is... The, the products that it's trying to present to you are things that were made with heart even if they were made in a studio system casablanca was made with mm. genuine like emotional impact mad max was made with a genuine with genuine ideas in it all of these like superheroes that you know they're throwing in the to the mix they came from real places for the most Sp- part uh, well, yeah. well they, i think they did and like i think and i don't know if you could say that about Jabberjaw, but a lot of these things did so the fact that all warner brothers can think to do with them is turn them into a heartless commercial for essentially hbo max where all these things live on a server it's really depressing. Like in its construct, we have to reject this as a concept. I I just think we can't. I, I think we can't do anything else. Um, we, we, this is. <laughs> it's a real fucking downer. It, is what yeah, it is. It, it, it's yeah. just it, it makes you feel so sad on the inside. I feel and, used. And the, uh... I feel used by the art that I love. You know, uh, yeah, like this is all you wanted out of me was money. Like, really, you didn't want me to, to feel uh, things. To to repeat myself, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of these big studio films are big products, and yeah. uh, a lot of uh, the people involved uh, are artists or not. Some filmmakers don't see themselves as artists. Sure. Um, at least try to make it feel like it's not. They're trying yeah. to make an entertainment or or maybe even something that has some meaning to something it. Something that can connect to you uh, on a human there's, level. There is none of that here. There is no yeah. passion or artistry here mm-hmm. at all. And they're finally just sort of out and saying, we're not interested in making art. We're interested in selling you not just the product, but the company that makes the product as the, the sympathetic heart of this story. And mm-hmm. that's sick. Yeah. And it, it just makes my heart fall. And it especially makes my heart fall that the original has been canonized yeah. to the point that we have to come to this. 
mm-hmm. that that the soullessness of the original actually it worked. It got under kids' yeah. skin and it branded them. I saw this happen to myself and my whole generation. How we were raised on toy commercials yeah. and how we grew up and you know. It was a a critic named Yahtzee Croshaw, he does video games, Mm -hmm. uh, said that rather than unhooking ourselves from the milking machine that the corporation hooked us up to, we decided to put stickers on our milking machine and brag to our friends about who has the best milking machine. Yeah. That's all we have here. Yeah. Space Jam is a really painful milking machine that I don't want attached to me. Yeah. I, I C minus. It, yeah. <laughs> Again, it sounds like hyperbole, but that's how it makes us feel. Yeah. And so the feeling is not hyperbole. The actual words, okay, it's not literally a milking machine, but it, that's how it feels. And I think that's relevant. Anyway, that's critically acclaimed for this week. We'll be back next week with reviews of films like Snake Eyes and M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Uh, he, I guess he's not that old, but like the movie he made is called Old, and he made it. So we call Anyway. Um,. And uh, th- what? Anyway, that's it for the show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed on this podcast, feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email and respond to it in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, we are also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows there, shows about uh, Star Trek. We're about to start our uh, long haul one podcast for every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation next week. Uh, we also have a recent crossover, which just got published with the wonderful Linoleum Knife podcast hosted by Alonzo Duralde and Dave White. Uh, it's our Christmas in July crossover spectacular. We reviewed the new Hallmark movie, Crashing Through the Snow, starring Amy Acker. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, at, that's available at all of our tiers at Patreon. Even $1 a month you get that podcast, in addition to being able to vote on future shows and get their Batman podcast and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Uh, and uh, we have a P.O. Box. Uh, we do. You can mail us a letter or a thing if you like. Uh, mail us to the critically acclaimed network PO Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine double zero six four. We hope you're staying, uh, uh, you know, cool and uh, uh, safe Madden. during these like weird yeah. summer that we're in right now. Yeah, we're vaccinating and relaxing. Yeah, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. We all need to get vaccinated. Uh, stay cool. It's a big old heat wave in a lot of America. You know, you get real sweaty. You know what you need to do. You need to wash it off. You're going to need some soap. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to head on over to Etsy. And you're going to look for Salt Cat Soap. All one word. We're also Salt Cat Soap is on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, that is the soap store that is uh, run by uh, my wife and partner, M. Lopez da Silva, and myself. Uh, we sell designer soaps. We uh, design them. They're handcrafted. Uh, and uh, with uh, wonderful scents, we debut new designs every single month. Uh, there's currently a sale going on in July. I believe it is 15% off orders of $10 or more. Uh, so check them out. Uh, Salt Cat Soap. Lots of wonderful designs. Uh, get some for the whole family. And uh, thank you everybody who's already bought some. Uh, we've had one really wonderful review so far. We just uh, uh, passed our 400 sales mark, which is pretty good, actually, for just a startup like that. So we're just very grateful. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Um, anyway, that's it for Critically Acclaimed. Uh, we will be back soon. Never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega.
biggest stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.